Remember the time Bobby tackled the referee by mistake? <laughs> Y'all remember when he intercepted the ball and his pants fell off? And then he ran for the touchdown, bare-ass? Remember the time Bobby Boucher on the field, caught that wrong hallway, you were saying that you want Bobby Boucher to die in? Remember when Bobby Boucher showed up at halftime and the Bud Dogs won the Bourbon Bowl, do you? <laughs> What it do, baby boo, Monsieur Mangus back in the stew. Welcome to all of our listeners recording here live in the nation's capital. Back at it for another stew crew sesh. This week, episode 15, it's a stark weekend, breaking down everything you need to know in the world of sports and entertainment. Let's go ahead and meet the minds behind the action. Coming to us live from the West Coast where it's still light out. Harry, SF Girthquake, Grimes, how we doing, kid? We're good. We're good. Uh, I'm standing up for this one um, because I got, you know, this Game of Thrones talk is going to get a little out of hand. Uh, and for anyone listening, you know, you might if you have not seen the episode, alert. you might want to uh, fast forward Spoiler past this first alert. section. Yeah. By the way, the, the nickname Girthquake is, is here to stay. Forever. <laughs> Barrel chest, Girthquake, um, whatever. All right, well, next up, hailing to us. From Richmond, Virginia, Tommy Lasagna. How we doing, kid? I'm good. I'm I'm with Grimes. Also, if you haven't been watching Game of Thrones, I don't know what like please delete what this app, fun or what you've been doing. How how you even live with yourself on social media these days? This, like, you gotta you I gotta get through. I don't even watch Game of Thrones, and I, I know what's going on. This kid at work today said he's like, I'm waiting for all of them to come out. Don't tell me or say anything. Psychopath. I'm like, you're a fuck no, psychopath. that's like your that's you your expect- own fucking problem. A hundred percent. But uh, lastly, let's not forget him. Coming to us from Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Jernigan. How we doing? Um, I, even I was about to forget me. We were just going to jump right into the Game of Thrones talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really need an introduction. Let's get to this shit. I think Joe Flacco is actually a very elite quarterback. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. You got my vote. Number one man, greatest quarterback of all time, hands down, Tom Brady. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's kick it off for episode 15. As we had alluded to earlier, we've got some banner for you. It's a Starks weekend. We've got heavy Game of Thrones, a little bit of Avengers talk. Hey, FYI, spoilers coming, so make sure... If you haven't seen it, fast forward. NHL, we've got a playoff update for you. We've also got the NFL draft results and our grades. Lastly, we got some buzzer beaters, so let's go ahead and kick it off. Um, huge weekend for the Starks. Let's go ahead and review it. I'll kick it over to you guys to talk to us about some of the Starks in Game of Thrones. First things first, going back to what you guys were just saying about if you're not watching Game of Thrones, if, if you're living in a major metropolitan area and you're expecting to not get spoilers, this same, pe- same thing with people in my office. They come in every fucking Monday and they're like, oh, let, let, let's not talk about the episode. I haven't watched it yet. Don't tell me. It's like, don't tell you me. You need to take your happy ass to northern Canada and just get the hell out of here for like the next six weeks. And then we'll talk about it, and you can come back and pretend like nothing ever happened once you get caught up. But moving on, Tom, let's hear what, let's hear your thoughts. 
I first and foremost, a lot of feedback from the episode has been like, oh, it was so dark. It was hard to see. Like, fuck you guys. If you're complaining about the quality of the episode, first, you have to take into consideration that like 30 million people are also trying to stream this show right now. Second off, it's like the darkest time in the history of the series, both like physically and metaphorically. Like, yeah, shit's shit's going to be dark. Shit's going down. Uh, But all that aside... I think we can just cut right to the chase here. Like, wh- did anybody see Arya? Well, hold be- on. Being the one here, let's let's back yeah, up quickly we- to last week's episode when we all fucking blatantly called the fact that those motherfuckers were gonna raise the dead from the crypts, right? <laughs> from the inside. <laughs> Which, yeah, we. I mean, everyone with the brain saw coming from a mile away, um, except those people inside the crypts themselves. So any woman or child who died down there most certainly deserved it. I would maybe put the cut off at like six years and under. If you were under six years old, you didn't deserve it because you're not that smart yet. But if you were over six, you deserve to die down there. Um, also, the big thing was um, clearly when you're throwing an entire army at the army of the dead, fun fact about being able to fucking revive people and bring them to your side is that everyone who died, clearly in the middle of the episode, you know, the Night King just brought to life, like, all these Dothraki and shit like that, and even some of the uh, the wildlings, you know, Thormund or whatever his name is. And, uh, you know, of course, if you, if you hadn't kind of calculated that into the equation, then that also makes you an idiot. But to Tom's point, as far as Arya goes, I guess, uh, you know, to, to be 100% honest, I definitely didn't see that episode ending the way it ended with with just the biggest fucking kill of all time right there but yeah did i see her having a triumphant little run this season absolutely so i'll i'll definitely be tuned in to see how that comes to an end of course on this roller coaster you've got pretty high highs and pretty low lows i would not expect her story to end the way that this episode ended which was I with mean, her on top of the mountain as as somebody that doesn't watch it Having read everything that I have read and, and spoken with you all and the people that do watch it, I, quite frankly, would would be a little bit disappointed having like had this been led up to the big one. Like the the initial episode alluded to the fact that this was going to be, and obviously it was. It was a massive fucking battle, uh, but there weren't any fucking big names that died. I and agree. That's kind of what Game of Thrones is is known right. for. Like they take out the fucking big characters and and instead they just took out the villain, well, which I think is just kind of bullshit. no. I, I dude, yeah. I totally agree, man. If you look at the people that died, it really wasn't like Jorah Mormont might have been the biggest character to die. Yeah, Jor Jor was definitely the biggest one that died, and then the guy is that the dickless guy? <laughs> no, that no, no no no, he's still alive. That's Grey Worm, but uh, Jorah Mormont's guy was protecting Daenerys at the end. Yeah, and at the end, his his last words were like. I'm hurt, and it's like, uh, yeah, biggest understatement of the fucking <laughs> right, year. Two, like two seven people, times. I'm hurt. Two people I definitely thought would be going uh, were Brienne and also the Hound. Uh, neither of which, neither of which died, uh, which is which is extremely shocking. I, I didn't necessarily believe like the the absolute biggest characters were going to be toppled. Like for instance, Arya, Sansa, Jon, uh, or Jamie. You know, I, I do think Jamie's going to come into play down the road with his sister. And, um, you know, other than that, to Tom's point, you know, about the whole dark thing, yeah, both literally and figuratively, 
it's the darkest time on earth right now. Like, sorry if you guys couldn't fucking see well enough on your thousand dollar 4K TVs. Uh, mine was doing just fine, but also that's just part of it, dude. You're like you're in the you're in the battle. Um, it was insane when the when the Dothraki charged like off. You know when the uh, when they got their blades set on fire with the with the freaking witchcraft going on there, and then they charged like crazy. And then, like, you really couldn't even tell, like, what they ran into. Like, as soon as they got there, you know, and it, like, blasts the frickin' screen, it's like, holy shit, what the fuck was that? But it turns out it was just 10 million dead people crawling and running on top of each other, forming a wall. And at that point, I was, as if I wasn't already all in, I was very much all in right then. So, just to give you, not you, but the listener's perspective... You know whether you not whether or not you were a fan of the episode or you know you have to appreciate what it took to take you know to fucking pull this shit off. I was looking at these things earlier and they said it took fifty five full days to film. Just this one episode. Fifty five. It took fifty five nights, dude. The yeah, yeah, there were night films. Nights. So this is the battle battle of Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. Seven hundred and fifty people on the scene. Longest Game of Thrones episode ever, 82 minutes long. Longest battle sequence in film history, or sorry, in film or TV history. Longer than the Game of Thrones, or uh, Lord of the Rings, sorry. Battle of the Helm's Deep. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm all on the episode. The, the work itself is, you know, nobody's doubting how impressive it was. But all, all in all, like, I just didn't really see it ending, like, the way it did, just... You're you're building up for eight seasons of like the biggest, baddest, you know, dead army that the world has ever seen, and then none of the actual like White Walkers fight. The Night King doesn't fight anybody. Like no, you know, epic sword battle. It it was a little anticlimactic. I'm not gonna lie, me. the Night King is a complete bitch. The in that well, scene, like, how did it take in this that long scene with Jon Snow where he's like, you know, instead of fighting like a man. You know, shout out uh, Chris Tucker and Rush Hour. He he just was like, all right, I'm just going to raise all these people up, and and you're fucked. I was like, dude, in that in that moment, that's when they should have had their little their sword, you know, duel battle, whatever you want to call right. it. Right, completely yeah. agree. All in all, the Night King killed one man, and he didn't even have balls. So yeah. By the way, the, uh, Theon's attempt let's, at killing let's talk about him was for like a second. the biggest joke of all time. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I was watching <laughs> with my buddy Jordan, so and it's like, please. Theon, please charge this guy. You know, this is going to be the funniest death in this entire series history, and it was. What an idiot! What a what a fucking. Uh, like, idiot. what did he think was going to happen? That he was just going to impale him? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I think you got to know at that point. You're like, all right, like this is where my story ends. But at the same time, like, I just I don't know. It it was just kind of like. Another one of those things where it's like, wow, that was so stupid. Like, what, what are you doing, Theon? Come oh, on, I'm, man. I'm not gonna. You know, that was stupid, and the people in the crypts were stupid. But I'm, I'm not here to hate on the episode one bit. Like, you can, you can complain about the darkness. I think, although I'm not, uh, you can complain about the lack of of major, major deaths. Um, but hopefully, that'll just shape up for some awesome shit in the in the last five, um, three episodes. And really, it's. I think I think to complain about it you have to be nitpicking. All in all, yeah. you know, we're we're not writing it. it. It is a little bit strange to me that that they began and ended the battle for Winterfell 
all in one episode. Like I, I definitely thought there would be some carryover into next week. Um, and and yeah, I, I guess to to continue night, nitpicking, the Night King not being involved in any battle is fucking like. What's the yeah, point but of him I, being so powerful, you know? I think in fairness, that's that's not his, his game. Like, even in the episode last season where they had to go across or uh, beyond the wall to go, you know, kidnap a, uh, one of the uh, walkers or one of the dead, you know, he, he's never involved in it. He just he just uses, you know, his, his army of dead that he can control with, with his fucking hand, you know, to do all this stuff for him. So, in fairness, like, it's not really his thing to be, to be in the mix. Because uh, he very well knows that as once he dies, and everyone knows that once he dies, every, everyone else dies along with him. So it kind of makes sense that he wasn't involved. I was, I thought the, uh, I thought the dragon fights were really well done. Um, I, I'm so, oh yeah, hell yeah! I'm Same. surprised that both dragons are still alive. To be honest, is that the case? Well, that was that was yeah. That was I thought only question. one because I no, because I only one the, lived. the one shows up next to Daenerys at the very end, right? And then the other one right. is in the scenes from the next episode. You see him flying over the the boats. Is it? Oh, okay. The one that John rides, the green one. The one. The one thing I picked up on was that when the Night King like raised everybody, if the second dragon was dead, it would have also brought right. the second right. dragon right. back. So, but I did not catch that in. Next yeah, it's in one of the so scenes. It's a quick clip of, of boats sailing across across the sea, and uh, and you see John's dragon flying over overhead. So, so two last things. One, uh, the, the first of which we'll talk about after the second one. But number one, um, you know what the fuck does this all this mean? Obviously, that you know the big thing now is going to be um, the battle with. Uh, the Lannisters, yeah, um, with Cersei. So, with Cersei, so the we're finally kind of drawing to a close. But number two, and first and foremost, I suppose, is what the fuck is Bran? You know, like I think it became more obvious than ever that Bran was somehow more in touch with the Night King, possibly is the Night King, than anyone had ever let on. And now that number one, what did you guys like? What is the story there? Is he the night? Was he the night king? And now, what is what does Bran do? What, yeah. At what point does he serve? Why the fuck didn't he die? Uh, I, I didn't expect him to die. Honestly, um, I I actually thought like right as like the night king showed up at the at the tree and and, and where Bran was. That's at, at that point I was like, where the fuck is Arya? Because the last time you saw her was when she was with the Hound and she kind of like storms out of that room. Left. Yeah. And and that, at that point I was like Arya's Arya's somewhere around here. Like she's the only one that's stealthy enough and has like the skills to kind of pull this off as opposed to like hand-to-hand combat. Um and and that was that was my whole like thing with it too is like I felt like there was just so much like you know, so much unknown about the White Walkers and what Bran exactly is up to and we just like didn't get it. Like there has I, to be more I think to Bran's, this story. They can't just I think Bran's going to explain the whole white walker situation now that it's over because he's the only one that understands the story he, i mean because he can he obviously can you know has that vision um but i don't think he's i don't think he <laughs> yeah. has any sort of uh, i don't see the connection between him being the night king because like what would his purpose well, the, what would his purpose be of, of him being the night king like he's just killing all these people that he knows right. well the connection to me like I had always been skeptical of just been like saying like oh Bran and and the Night King are one and the same, but you know when he told Theon I have to go away for a while or I have to go go away now and it, you know his eyes like go back in the back of his head mm-hmm. and then the next scene is boom Night King like kind of coming over everything like 
with a big eye on everything. So it was just like, like, what is the connection there? I'm right. not going to think too hard about it. You know, the Night King is dead at this point. So I guess now I'm looking forward to finding out what fucking what is left for Bran. Period. Can we get rid of this kid or what? And if we're not going to get rid of him, I, I want some <laughs> shit to be explained to me asap. I I I have the the bold explanation right here, where the northern armies are going to march down. They're going to be outmatched, and Bran is going to be like, "All right, motherfuckers, you have to turn me into the new Night King in order to stop no Cersei." Fucking and shot. <laughs> absolutely, he'll go down there. He'll he'll take care of whoever, and then he'll just retreat as like the calm, like peaceful Night King, and then go back up north. Well, here's heard it if here. that here's, happens, here's Tom, I, I'll give you like it, not only props, I'll give you like twenty bucks, five bucks, five, 20, twenty-five bucks, yeah. twenty-five bucks, and props. I just need the props. So, so here's the real question: Who wins a fight, the Night King and the White Wall and his army of White Walkers, or Thanos and his army? Uh, you got to go with Thanos. I mean. Yeah. Right, that dude. I threw up. I threw up. I, I mean, I brought it up because I thought I saw a meme the other I, day, and I threw it up on the. Uh, once you see how easy it is Instagram, to kill right? the Night King, you're like, you know, Thanos would fucking just, just yeah. end this dude. I could probably do that, but that does transition very nicely into our next segment. You know, part of the Starks weekend, which is Tony Stark and his cast of crew of Avengers, uh, who racked in. $1.2 billion this weekend uh, in opening weekend, um, <clears throat> surpassing everything uh, that basically has ever been created. So well done uh, on that front. Um, we won't throw out any spoilers because two out of the four have not seen the movie, but spoiler alert, it it's is awesome. an emotional roller coaster. Uh, perfect ending to Gardner, did you cry? kind of a... Not not cry, but I teared up. A okay, little bit. I, so, no, I know. Like, some people at work today were saying the same thing. I was like, "How fucking sad could this be?" It's an inventive, uh, it's horrible it, movie. I couldn't disagree more. Like, I have most of the Avengers movies I've been to have been with Gardner, as it turns out. Um, but man, I don't care how many. I don't care if you've seen every single one of them the night it came out since you were 15 years old. If you're 26 years old crying in the movie theater over a superhero movie, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> and and well, there was it's a good thing i wasn't crying there was no bigger like i've never seen more retards clapping sorry for the hard r word there my bad i've never seen more idiots clapping in the movie theater in my entire life like three th- I, I hate i mean three i'm not hours gonna lie clapping. to you i did some internal fucking clapping yeah, well I that's never, fine ever, I, I i did a Oh, good solid fist pump here and there. <laughs> That's totally cool. That's but, as long as it's but, silent. Man, people were clapping. Like you got to be. You got to understand. Yeah, no, like you're crazy. in a you're in a place with a lot of people who who just want to watch the movie and like hear the movie and hear what's going on and not like a round yeah. of applause every time like something. Cool I happens. wish I wish that I could agree with you there, but it turns out I think I was the only one in that place who didn't want to clap. So I was in the minority. <laughs> Everyone else was clapping. I, I mean, could not believe my eyes. These were grown people, you know. That these were not fourteen-year-olds. They were grown people clapping. It's just <laughs> obnoxious. It's like, oh, you, you guys like the movie too? Yeah. I like I like the movie too. We just we just watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's like people. I, I, I liked it's it. like people who clap when when they land the plane. It's like uh, <laughs> yes. I would hope they landed the plane. Exactly. Um, it's their fucking job. <laughs> so true. Um, but it was right, sick. Well, 
we'll uh we'll move on um i wanted to just quickly highlight this because this was hilarious to me not necessarily hilarious a little bit scary and hilarious at the same time with some foreign fuckery going on um if you all remember several months ago uh there was a news story that came out there was alleged spy gentleman named jamal kasogi is that how you pronounce Kishogi, that Kish- I think. Yeah. yeah um so Close he down. he was basically on trial and in prison for having killed uh an individual in a consulate or an embassy uh and he was found dead in his fucking prison cell um so the the spy's name himself is Zaki YM Hassan and he supposedly killed uh Khashoggi uh allegedly was on trial completely fucking did it no doubt about it sawed him up butchered him up um <laughs> and now he's dead so there goes that trial yeah uh, <laughs> you better believe his boss was the one who ordered I, that killing too guys got yeah, information it's like you know what we can't have any loose ends just you know Get someone else to do your dirty work. I mean, that's just like, you know, I know that the American judicial system isn't perfect, but shit, man. <laughs> we don't have we don't have witnesses and people on trial dropping dead in their prison cells. Just left and right, there. yeah, yeah. I mean, to, <laughs> not that I agree with anything they're doing at all, but, man, if you just want a fucking example on how to run an empire with an ironclad fist, just take a look at... Saudi or Russia like they yeah for what they're doing they are doing it to the 10th friggin degree so fuck <laughs> fuck them but but man gotta respect it um yeah no it, it's pretty wild um well on to the next bit um which is you know I, I've always been so curious where the hell these teachers were when I was in school you know you're hearing all these stories of these like hot teachers sleeping with their students so I had all like these fat, gross math teachers and like dudes with ponytails. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you know? It's like what the hell is going on? But so, supposedly, a New York City uh, teacher was fired after a student got a hold of some nudes that she sent to her boyfriend back in 2016. I, I commend him. He should probably just get an A in the class. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to need to see the photos just to have an opinion on this. Yeah, uh, what, what what website it was on? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's it's impressive. Like, you must have like hacked into her fucking iCloud or something. Or he was like secretly banging her, and he she you know he I don't know who knows. But she's now like standing protesting outside of the school topless, like talking about like not body shaming people and like objectifying women. It's like, well, you sent a titty pic to your boyfriend, so. You're kind of objectifying yourself. I got a feeling you're probably going to lose this lawsuit, but, you know, keep keep going. Also, hey, I do respect the – I'd love to go check out the protests, um, but I, I have a feeling that pushing all of your chips to the middle of the table in that fashion, I mean, not you're not going to win. You, know, <laughs> no, you not how you go about that hand. It's like you want to yeah. keep teaching, like maybe in another state, like they're going to hear about this. Right. This is now yeah. you're top. You, you could have gotten away with sending a topless pic to your boyfriend, but now you're protesting naked on the street. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is that is called really doubling down, whole, my friend. A whole next level, yeah. Uh, um. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into the main chunk of things here and talk about what's really important, 
Hey, before we move on, actually, remember when making a hundred million dollars on a movie was a big deal? Yeah, man. Honestly, like the fact that they put up one point two billion dollars just in in a weekend. That's a hundred million people going to see that movie. <laughs> just slamming, cramming into gross, just jill, jizz-filled you know, <laughs> theater seats. <laughs> now we can move That's on. That's why I will never go see a movie on the opening weekend, especially one as big as The Avengers. I just can't deal with the big crowds. Just the the people that these movies draw from, like, the depths of each city. <laughs> just, like, gremlins <laughs> that only come out once a year. And, like, it just happens to be the dude sitting next to you eating fucking one of everything from the snack bar. They're like, just, it's, yeah, all it's over. finally here. Our time is here. <laughs> I can't do that shit. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up uh, and actually talk about some seriously important stuff, that being the NHL playoffs. Uh, round one has come and gone. We've got uh, quite a lineup here, some tied series, um, and – a surprising Carolina taking a lead against the Islanders and Barry Trotz. So let's go ahead and kick right into this. Um, you know, we've got four bullet points here, so let's go ahead and just break it down, pass it around. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you, Harrison, um, if you want to talk to us about the Islanders and Carolina. Yeah, so the Islanders and Carolina is a bit of a mystery. So, I mean, to be honest, no one expected Carolina to be in this position winning two games in New York. Um I just don't know really what's going on. I watched game two, you know, Carolina's just playing with a ton of confidence. I mean, beating, you know, beating Washington is going to, is going to help that. Um, but the Islanders just look a little bit deflated. And I honestly, at this point, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be a sweep. I'd be surprised if that were the case, but they just look deflated. They seems like, it seems like that flame has run out a little bit. I mean, they still have a lot of talent on that team, but you know, losing two uh, at home to start a series, especially you know when the pressure's on uh, in the NHL playoffs as much as it is, it just doesn't look. It's just not a good look, man. It just doesn't. It just doesn't bode well. It's it's stupid to say. Or it's simple to say, but uh, it just doesn't look good for them. And and Carolina is you know certainly the Cinderella team uh, in these playoffs right now, in in my opinion. Them in Colorado, but Colorado at least on paper, has got, you know, a ton of talent everywhere. And, and it's got players like Nathan McKinnon who are just absolutely tearing it up. So, you know, that's that's really all I think about for, for that, you know, Islanders series. Um, the one really to watch, and I don't know if you guys have caught any games because I know you guys are on the East Coast and these games are late. Colorado and San Jose is a series that you need to watch. Yeah. Um, it is it is unbelievable hockey. Uh you know, San Jose, man, is looking looking good this year. I mean, they've always, like we said, are, are playoff contenders. Yeah. Uh, but kind of fizzle out after the first round, and they don't seem to be <clears throat> to be slowing down. Yeah, no, they're they're legit. I mean, they dropped their last game four um, <clears> two <throat> with one empty netter. But uh, it, it's it's just a really even series. I think San Jose is the better team, and I expect them to to pull this one out. Um, you know, but you know, with Eric Carlson and Brent Burns back there, I, I just want to see Joe Thornton. You know, when when a uh, another ship, or Stanley Cup, I should say. Did correct me if I'm wrong. Did the Islanders sweep? They swept, right? They did. Yeah. Last series. last series. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you had said, I think they're just gassed, man. I think they put all their eggs in the basket in round one. Um, well, it's not even so much gas. It's like you. It's like when you sweep a series, you get like such a long layover, especially when the other series that are going on go go seven games. 
um, as yeah. the Carolina uh, series did against Washington. So it's not even Their so much gas. It's rough. like it's like you get this like long weird break, probably longer than any break you've had for the entire season, of like five or six days, and and, and it's just really hard to stay focused. It's a lot easier to. I mean, granted, going from game seven to game one in a two day or two or uh, yeah two day span, you know those guys are gassed, but at least they're still like mentally in it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of well, what's that, happened. That's something I think that we're gonna see shortly in this Columbus and Boston series, um, with the the big layoff that Columbus had in the Bruins series going seven games. Um, the Bruins kind of you know, punched them in game one when they were still kind of, you know, regrouping, getting back into the swing of things. And then the game two went to double OT the other night. And this is the Bruins like fourth or fifth overtime game of these playoffs. I know everybody's hurt, but you know, things like that are really starting to add up in Boston. And I'm kind of concerned now that the flame is kind of dwindling for, for the Bruins just because of all of these games they're playing the extra time that they're on the ice compared at least to the, to the Columbus team. Um, but I, I don't know, dude, there's just something about this Bruins team. They just tend to bounce back. Um, and, and, you know, they have been rising to the occasion kind of overlooked. I mean, by many in, in, in the earlier rounds of the playoffs, I guess. And then your, your top seeds get bounced. So, I mean, you're I, all that's kind of out of the I, out the window. I think you're 100 percent correct. This is a, a veteran team. Uh, these are players that have been there before. Columbus, this is their first appearance in, in in the second round of the playoffs. I don't think they've ever surpassed the first round, and so I think this is going to be a series. I do think you might be right that you know it, it's going to go seven games, and, and the Bruins might. And the Bruins might, uh, unfortunately, take an L. But I think it's going to be a good series to watch. Um, But honestly, having kind of watched these games and kind of read these follow-ups, I honestly am looking at St. Louis to potentially take this thing. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, St. Louis is playing right now. I don't know what the score is off the top of my head. but uh... Yeah, it's it's tied up 1-1. They're they're in the second, um, you know. Dallas is a great team. You know, all these teams. It's kind of a smorgasbord this year. Well, what's you know, weird is all, it's all, not it's not many traditional teams. You know, you yeah. usually see Boston and San Jose in the mix, but everybody else is pretty new to the scene. And I mean, Islanders, Columbus, yeah. Avalanche haven't been really this good in a while. Uh, the Stars have have always kind of been like a fringe playoff team. Um, and so there's just a lot of really interesting teams, and that's what makes it so hard to really say, you know, when when teams like Tampa and, and Washington are not not in it, um, it, it's really weird. Or even like an Anaheim. Anaheim used to be in the playoffs every single year and, and used to go deep every single year. Um, it's just it's just weird. That's what's so hard to to call it. I mean, I think I think the winner of Colorado San Jose is gonna be is the one I'm gonna ride with to win the to win the cup. All right. That, that's I mean, that's wrong. They would be going head to head with St. Louis if my prediction is right yeah. and they go forward, which would be an incredible series to watch. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you know, I don't know, man. I've been so. It's been so mixed for me this uh, this playoff. I'm always entertained and, it, and it's been continuously fun hockey to watch. Um, but, like you said, it's super weird. Uh, and I guess I like it. You know, change is good seeing these sort of the younger teams making it in but you know without that original cast 
um, it, it's really hard to say who's going to come yeah. out of the top here. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is there's a bunch of guy like there's a bunch of no names. I mean, there's each team has you know players we've all heard of and players who are who have been in the league for a while and players who you know that are you know stars in the league. But there's really not the same. You know, it's a lot of yeah. of unusual players that we're just not familiar with um and that's kind of what i think what what makes it so difficult to really to really say how this is all going to pan out which i think is cool i think it's exciting um having having a bunch of teams that are, that aren't usually in the mix uh you know having their chance at, at the stanley cup i i had a lot of faith for the islanders uh i thought barry trotz coming off of a stanley cup with kind of a younger healthier team um, you know, is going to be able to make it happen. But I guess, it, you know, it doesn't really come down to that. It's really having a team like last year's capital, Capitals, I should say, that, you know, just meshed well, had been mm-hmm. playing together for a, a long time. Um, and, you know, you don't, and you don't really see that necessarily with any of these teams. So um, it's a different style of play, but it's cool. Uh, Brent, you got any thoughts on this year's current kind of playoff standings? Um. My only thought is that I, I love to hate the Carolina Panthers, so things uh, are currently not going my way. Yeah, um, with with Nashville getting blasted in the ass in round one, and now Carolina making some sort of just absolutely out of left field miracle run. Um, surely to God, you know the good news is they're going to run up against Columbus or, or Boston and and get that shit wrecked, but. Uh, beyond that, uh, we can't let Tom have anything else nice, so we also need Boston to lose, you know? Yeah, yeah true that, man. I'm so just sick wait. of Boston just sports, wait. I cannot even begin to describe. Yeah. Just well, wait, before, before Harrison has an aneurysm, let's go ahead and move on to the 2019. <laughs> uh, it's NFL only going to make my aneurysm result. worse, Gardner. Goddamn Giants. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some of the biggest takeaways. Um, not anything about the giants uh related um blood pressure i need my medicine um <laughs> let's go ahead and just kick it off with uh you know go to- go go tigers and go cleveland um they now have three former lsu stu- or students players i should say that are lacing up uh, alongside one another odell beckham jr previous giant also a son of a bitch uh jarvis landry and now greedy williams um so kind of really interesting it'll be a strong team dynamic no doubt about it it'll create you know an even stronger culture in cleveland and i guess my question to you guys is are are these guys going to be serious playoff contenders this year nope i'm gonna go with no i actually saw uh some vegas sports book uh sports books that is do not favor the browns making the playoffs um the unfortunate thing for the browns is they kind of suffer from whether they want to or not, which, you know, it, it is entirely possible that Baker Mayfield is, is just the guy to remove the stigma because he definitely carries a sort of swagger and a belief in their ability that, that has a good chance of kind of percolating throughout the team. But at the end of the day, they are the Browns. They suffer through that or from that little brother syndrome where, like, no matter how good you you think you are, you're still just going to get abused by the by the dudes who have been abusing you for the last fucking 15 years. And the Steelers are still good. Uh, the Ravens are still good. And I don't think that's going to change. You know, the Ravens are going to have a fan, uh, fantastic yeah. defense. The, the Steelers are not going anywhere, even though they missed the playoffs and they've 
you know, they've choked away plenty of big games and they're in their, you know, last eight since the last time they won a Super Bowl, honestly. But they are still a good football team. They can run the ball, they can throw the ball, and that's not changing. And um, the Ravens are only going to get better with with a better Lamar Jackson. So we'll see what happens. Um, hey, yeah. hey, man, extra points for vocab percolating. I yeah, like thank you. <laughs> but I, I think I think what you're hinting at is is true in the fact that the Browns are going to have to win the AFC North. When you consider that, obviously, New England's going to win the East. I can. I'll bet my life on that now. Yeah, because they're playing then you look a at bunch the of South. fucking young quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, we'll we'll take it, and then we'll still run the playoffs. But when you look at these other teams, like the in the South, you have Houston, Indy, even even the Jags, who had an off year, and of course the Titans. That's that's pretty loaded, and obviously the West has the Chiefs as well as the Chargers are still around, and it, it's just and the Broncos with Joe difficult. Flacco this year. Yeah, that's that's not going to work out. Um, but uh, I I still think Cleveland's going to have to win the AFC North if they want to get into the playoffs. And I, well, like you said, I just don't see that happening. And I'm I'm almost more surprised that Greedy Williams fell to to Cleveland and they were able to take them where they did. I think it was a great pick. Uh, just, first and foremost, the guy oh, yeah, the guy's a, a great pick. cover corner. His problem that everyone keeps talking about is his tackling ability he kind of shies away from tackles um which is never a good thing you know no team ever wants to have that as a part of a a player's like prospect um but dude i I think i think one of the issues that they're gonna have aside from the fact that they've got a first year head coach that baker mayfield blatantly called an idiot during one of last year's games uh that's gonna be a, (laughs) a big factor right Coaching, as we've seen with Bill Belichick, yeah. coaching means a lot in the NFL. Um, and and I also think the other part is, dude, they've got a ton of big personalities. Baker's his own big personality. Odell Beckham is as big of a diva. I even thought that when he was on the Giants. He, he, not he will ruin biased. any locker room. He can ruin any locker room. and Every. Every. And and I, I don't think it even stops there, but they, they just have a bunch of big personalities that never really bodes well. There's a ton of talent on that team. Don't get it twisted, but I I totally understand the you know the thought of them not making the playoffs. Well, the funny thing about all the fucking idiots at ESPN, it, like all these anchors who, by the way, you've never heard of. Like, what what happened to the good old days with Dan Patrick? You know, just running me down highlights and knowing what the fuck he was talking about. But all of these idiots at ESPN, you know, uh, before the draft even happened, they're like taking a look at next year's season. And they're like, oh, we 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 did a blind a blind schedule run, and we all have like all three of us have the Cleveland Browns going eleven and five. Like I've never laughed harder in my entire fucking life. In Vegas, the over under on New England winning games is eleven wins. You know, like, and you're telling me that you think you know sitting on ESPN, you think the Browns are are a for sure eleven and five team. Anything, they just won six games last year. Anything five hundred or better is a successful season for them and making the playoffs would be, would be double that. That would be extremely successful. I completely agree. Let's also not forget that Baker Mayfield had to tweet at the Cleveland fans because they were winning and nobody fucking showed up. So if you don't have a fan base and you've got turmoil in the locker room because of a bunch of divas and stars, all budding heads, 
I think it's going to fucking implode. Well, that's the thing is if they, or, if they start losing to begin the season, this thing is going it, to it'll spiral. They're so toast. It'll spiral. <laughs> yeah, way they're out of control. so toast. But I mean, that's that's like the kind of the beauty of it all. Like they're playing with nothing to lose, and if they suck, they're just the same old Cleveland yeah. Browns. It, like it's, <laughs> nobody's going to yeah. think otherwise right. of it. Um, yeah, but you, honestly, have, you have somebody like Odell leaving the Giants because he was like, I'm not going to be a part of a culture that's losing. And you went to the biggest losing culture of in all, all of fucking football. And and you know what? Honestly, I, I hope that something good happens, and it would be really cool in our generation to see this many stars pan out on the football field. It's rare, but very, very unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly just could not be a bigger sell. I mean, he – he is an incredible football player. There is no doubt about it. He he's one of the top five most talented players in the entire NFL. But I'm I'm selling every team with Odell Beckham in the locker room in forever. So I'm I am not a bid on them whatsoever. I do not see them like Tom said. They they will have to win. Given given the strength and all the other divisions, they will have to win the AFC North. And that's just that's just tough football. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I guess all of us are Baker Mayfield for fans, right? Like we're not rooting against oh, yeah. them. No, 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 not at all. We're just we're but, being uh, like objective enough, enough about here, the situation. Enough here on on the <laughs> enough here on the Browns. Like we'll get into this much later when football season rolls around. Let's let's take a look at what else happened in this draft. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about these the, two tight ends that are taken in the first round here, uh, who both are coming out of Iowa. Uh, one is heading to Detroit, the other is heading to Denver. Um, so I'll turn it over to you, Tom, to talk to us a little bit about the specs on that. I, for the life of me, I have no idea why they drafted a tight end at number eight overall to Detroit. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, great player, big body, uh, obviously more of a pass catcher because that's just the nature of the tight end position. Um, but still, you're, you're telling me that at the number eight pick in the draft, the best value was at a tight end. Like it's just a terrible, terrible. If I could grade this, it's two thumbs down. Yeah, F minus for the Detroit Lions. It's Detroit, man. What do you expect? Well, I, that's what I was just about to say. Is um, up to this point, I hadn't quite given Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia the absolute idiot nod, but he's an absolute idiot. You know, he he literally <laughs> so clearly he thinks what he thinks is that this dude is Gronk two point Otherwise, you know, after being with the Patriots for so long, he thinks this dude is Gronk 2.0. Otherwise, I mean, you do not draft a tight end at number eight overall without thinking he is the next, the second coming of Rob Gronkowski. So clearly, well, that that's what brings me to to the next the next point is that Denver traded up to take his backup Noah Vant at number twenty. Like it's not only two tight ends; they're from the same team. And I, I get that they both put up numbers, this, that, and the third. But, like, the starter from Iowa was already drafted, and now you're drafting the backup. In the first round. In the same round. Um, like, what, what the fuck is going I'd on? I'd also like to Denver point out of all that teams. it's the most Iowa Hawkeye thing in the world to have two white tight ends drafted yep. in the same round. Completely <laughs> agree. Just, just <laughs> corn-fed white boys. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think Noah, Noah Vant has a little color to him. Oh, uh, Sorry. <clears throat> I think he might be, uh, I don't know, a mix of some sort. But it just, I, I think it, it was the first time that this has ever happened with two teams or two tight ends from the same team or some, something, you know, one of those crazy ESPN stats that they just throw up. But I just, What's for the life of me, this was, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. 
It, it was just one of those things that stood out among the rest of the draftees. It was just like, what? What am I missing here that I don't like? I don't see on paper. I guess that's why I'm not a GM, but I I just can't explain it. Well, let's um let's go ahead and talk about the top five uh, draft picks just for time's sake. Um, first round, top five overall. Uh, we'll start it off. Obviously, we have to. We've talked about it for several episodes up until this point. Not surprising at all, but the Arizona Cardinals select Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray number one overall. Uh, that is back-to-back years uh, number one overall for Oklahoma, uh, following up after Baker Mayfield. So wanted to turn it over to you guys quick to give uh, a grade letter grade so to say and just a quick rundown of why you think so uh and we'll move on to the next so harry i'll kick it over to you yeah i i I gave him a b maybe a b plus for the pick ultimately they just i think they had other needs they needed to address i've said it before i said it last week i hate when teams force an issue when they're just other major glaring holes um on their team it's exactly what they did they forced an issue they got another quarterback they shipped off their last last year's first round pick to, to Miami, and and you know so it's just a bit of a reset. You know they're they're going to be another they're going to have another top five pick come next year because of that exact reason. They they didn't address the the areas they needed to do, needed to address, and and uh, and it's simple as that. So um, I gave him like a, a B or a B plus maybe. Tom, what do you got? Uh, I'm giving him an A. Just. You know the the thing the the winning sort of formula nowadays seems to be you need a head coach that you know has his quarterback the quarterback that he wants and that's what happened everybody knew that Kingsbury wanted a, Kyler Murray and I'm you know I'm giving it an A here just because you know the the table is set now and it's up to them to go out and you know obviously put it into action I don't I think Grimes is right I don't think this is going to be a, a you know a flip of the switch overnight and we're going to be talking about the Cardinals come playoff time, but I think it's what needed to be done, um, and it's you know I'll give it an A. Kingsbury is a bum. I'm inclined Let's to agree, um, but I am still going to give it a B plus. Um, you know I talked about last episode as as a new NFL coach, first timer, uh, trying to get his guy in the building, all those things. You know, talk about someone with very little to lose. Some people might argue that he had everything to lose, but in my opinion. Kingsbury had everything to gain, and you know he went out and got got the one guy who he thinks can be a team changer. You know there there are a lot of quote unquote good quarterbacks in the draft with the Daniel Jones kid was that his name from Duke, uh, the Drew Locks, you know guys like that who are like yeah whatever we'll we'll take a shot we'll see how he develops. But I think there was only one quarterback in the draft that could potentially change an entire team, and it's. It's Kyler Murray. Whether or not that happens, I'm not sure. But but if you're saying who who is the next Russell Wilson, who is the next you know um, Drew Brees or whatever in this draft, he's probably the only one. So he took a chance. We'll we'll see how the pick works out for him. Well, I think uh, I think Russell Wilson and Drew Brees are a little bit generous. But I uh, I see where you're going with that. I I gave it a B minus. Um, I'm not so much a part of the Kyler Murray hype. I, I hope the best for him. 
Um, but here's the thing. I think this is a kid who was going to go uh, play in the MLB, realized that there was uh, much more financial stability in the NFL. I think he is short for the NFL. People have doubted him for that. Um, I also think he's got bust potential written all over him because of the fact that he threw two talent in Oklahoma. Uh, he had a strong team there, and he's going to a team that has no receivers um, and, and is not good. Um, Kingsbury, as we had mentioned, is a bum, and I think he's this is this is him going out on a limb thinking that Kyler Murray is going to be able to turn around the team. And I agree. I don't think he thinks he's going to literally bring them to a fucking championship LeBron style, but um, I, I just don't think that he's going to pan out the way that people have projected or anticipate. Well, but I, I hope the best for him, you know. I hope he breaks a leg. But um, let's go ahead and uh, kick it over to the number two pick, San Francisco. Uh, they went ahead and selected Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa, um, making him, I believe, the third Bosa to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Yeah, his that's dad correct. and his older brother. His older brother and his yeah, dad, yeah. So um, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead in same order, kick it over to Harry. Yeah. To give us I'm thoughts. giving him an A-. minus. Um, I think the, they took the best available player at that spot. You could also argue Quinnen Williams was, was a better player, but um, in terms of addressing a need, the 49ers ranked 28th in the league in sacks last year, so clearly getting getting pressure on the quarterback uh, was was an issue for them to, to address, um, and, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, the reason why I'm not giving them an A or an A+, plus, uh, the dude might come with some locker room baggage, um, I imagine, this is a guess, that Donald Trump is probably not that popular of a guy in an NFL locker room. Uh, Nick Bosa is a... Where, where are you getting this? What, what has he said on Trump? He, he's, it's, not specifically <laughs> on Trump uh, it's not specifically on Trump, but he's like he's definitely right-wing in his, on his Twitter account. Um, pretty hardcore right-wing. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just alluding to that being Trump. And so I think there could be some... You know, I, I don't think there will be at the end of the day, but... You know, I'm just throwing it out there for, uh, you know, for the sake of kind of hating on someone. To let people know. Tom, I'll throw you a line. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Bosa can suck Bosa D's nuts. <laughs> Ooh. I, I, look, Boom, I think he, that he's getting all the hype just because of his last name. Um, he's two inches and 25 pounds lighter, two inches shorter and 25 pounds lighter than his older brother. And he also didn't play. He played three or four games this year and then just sat out with the possibility of coming back, which says a lot about him as a player to just say, you know what, I get it. Like, there's, you know, the financial security and he's, he's you know, pushing for his well-being, whatever. I just don't like that as a, as, a, as a player. I think you should want to be out there with your team. And given, as Grimes had mentioned, the other talent that was available, if you need an edge rusher, I don't know why Josh Allen dropped to I think four or five um, with yeah, the Jags, man. but uh, I loved Josh Allen and he was like head and shoulders the best edge rusher in this draft. I just I don't know I I'm not sold on Bosa. I, I hope hopefully he'll prove me wrong, but I'm giving this pick a C plus. I'm I'm more along the lines of Grimes. I'm giving this an A minus. Uh, none of my grade has anything to do with personality, but um, people do and. People have and do talk about the fact that he 
is a little bit better as a prospect than his brother, regardless of the size uh, discrepancy that Tom pointed out. And in those three games that he played in 2018, he had four fucking sacks. He had uh, two forced fumbles, an interception, and a touchdown. So in three games as a defensive end, that is insane. The one thing I will say, and I don't know what they did with the rest of their class. I you know I watched the first couple rounds. I don't give a shit about the San Francisco 49ers, so I don't know who they picked up in the later rounds. They obviously need passing help for Garoppolo. Uh, they did not go that route. They took the best player, as, as Harrison said, um, pretty much the best player on the board at the time. And I will say, though, that this is the fourth defensive end they've they've drafted in the first round in the last five drafts. So clearly they have not been hitting. Um, that's that's not to write off the the guy that they took in 2017. Um, but you know they've you got to start making these defensive end picks work. Otherwise you're just going to look like idiots when your defense can't can continues to not be able to stop anyone. Idiots, big idiots. Um. Yeah, I. Tom was very convincing in his argument. I was at an A uh, minus, and I'm going to change it to a B plus. Um, you know, he's obviously said to be one of the best pass rushers in, rushers in his class, um, but there's obviously a lot of doubt about Bosa's durability. Like you all said, he sat out for a good chunk of the season. Um, you know, what he was able to do in the time that he was on the field is impressive, but you know, I think a lot of players would be able to do that if they were sitting on that much rest. So, um, I, you know, I think it'll be really, you know, a game time decision as to how I feel about him. Um, I think, you know, preseason will allow for us to get an eye on him, but I, I don't know. I, I, I will say in the, the three games that he played this year, he played against Oregon State, Rutgers, and TCU. So kind of middle of the pack to low tier teams. Yeah. Uh, fuck him, if I'm being blatant. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's move on. Number three pick. The New York Jets went ahead and selected Quinnen Williams. Is that how you pronounce it? Quinnen? Yeah, yep. Uh, defensive tackle from Alabama. Um, has been going viral. You may have seen him. Uh, he sneezed on live air, and he uh, he blessed himself, and then said thank you. Uh, so he's he's looking out looking out for numero uno, man. I, you got to appreciate it. He it literally said most... he literally sneezed and said, "Bless you, thank you, thank you." <laughs> I mean, how do you, how do you not love a player with manners? Yeah, that's just that's yeah. just yeah. great manners. A, a well. Amazing, and he was dressed amazingly. I mean, the guy was just happy to be there. Um, I, I really dig this guy. Uh, I, I'll kick it over to Harrison to talk about it, but um, let's hear what you say. Yeah, I went, I went A-plus here. Uh, I think he's best overall prospect. He'll, he'll be day one starter without question. The guy's an absolute force and was a force at Alabama. And one thing I did love about him, his highest production came in the biggest games last season. And uh, you love that. You love to see you know a guy who, in the, in the big moments, you know steps it up and just fucking dominates. Players. Uh, big time players make big time plays in big time games. Uh, Santana Moss said that best. Um, you heard it, but yeah, it's a great pickup. They're gonna have Quinton Williams and Leonard Williams, you know, in the middle there in New York. I think they're switching to a three-four defense, so he's actually gonna be a nose tackle, which means they're gonna have one tackle in the middle, two uh, edge rushers, and then they'll have four linebackers. One will probably come in as an edge rusher for most most downs. But him and Leonard Williams is gonna be a pretty uh, 
pretty strong duo in uh, in New York. Tommy Lasagna. No, yeah, I mean, I think we're all in agreement here. He's a hell of a player, and um, although he's going to be playing New England two times a year, um, I'm taking that as a good thing because I can't wait to watch him and see what he does. Yeah, uh, I'm, I definitely think, you know, what we we could see Kyler Murray blossom into an awesome player, and the, and the same with Bosa, but as far as just what you've got right here in front of you, this was the best pick in the top five, possibly in the entire draft. Everyone's been raving about Quinn and Williams the entire time. And honestly, to expand on that a little bit, you know, with Sam Darnold as their quarterback, super young guy, has shown plenty of promise, had some down games, but I love the the Jets draft in general. Um, you know, they needed to shore up one, anytime you can help your offense by, by plugging up your defense, that's a good call. They drafted an awesome uh, Ja'Kai Polite uh, from Florida outside linebacker in the second round and then took some tackle help in the third round, uh, you know, to help Darnold on the offensive line. And then finally, in the fourth round, uh, they picked up a, a tight end from West Virginia who, who you know, people are raving about as, like, a value pick. So, so really, I, th- I think they covered a lot of bases as far as, like, helping a young quarterback. But, man, right, right, off, the, right off the bat, you win football games in the trenches, period, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And Quinnen Williams is a fucking beast. So, good pick. What are you giving him? Uh, A plus. Oh, all right. Well, I never got an A plus in school, so I'm not giving him an A plus. Um, I'm going to give him an A. Uh, I also would probably circle back to what Tom mentioned in the number two pick that, you know, Josh Allen may potentially have been a stronger pick. Um, But after seeing the bless you, thank you video, watching his highlight reel, uh, I think the guy possesses a lot of strong characters on and off the field, um, and people have started to compare him to Reggie White. I think people are also saying pump the brakes. It's you know still early, but it'll be really interesting to see him, uh, you know, with a young quarterback, uh, with you know another strong uh, aide on his side, and we'll see what the, what they can do. Um, but I digress. Number four pick, Gruden and his fucking Raiders went ahead and selected uh, Cleland Farrell, defensive end from Clemson. We went ahead and graded him. We'll turn it over to Harry to start us yeah, off. Yeah, I, I want B-minus here. Um, everyone, this was the reach of the draft. Uh, actually, the second reach of the draft first was Daniel Jones at six to the Giants. But um, and, uh, certainly a reach, but at the end of the day, you know these guys. The, you know these guys being Gruden, Mike Mayock, the GM, all the scouts that are involved. You know they they brush through these these guys with a very fine comb, and for them to to think that this guy had the value, uh, you know, to go at number four, you know, probably says something. Um, you know, the way I look at it, you know, I look at this, and and you know, John Gruden is on such a he's in, he's on such thin ice with all the moves he's been making, um, and, and this is another questionable one. But, you know, until we see the final result, if something pans out or doesn't, it's really, really hard to say if, if he's, you know, a genius or, or an idiot. And uh, this is another one where I think he's, you know, he seems to know something that, that no one else does. Um, and so we're going to have to just wait and see on Clellan Farrell and see how this plan pans out. I It'll just... don't love the odds of that of it working out as well as he seems to think it will. But Clellan Farrell is, is legit. Um, he, you know... And that's what it comes down. He'll to. go ahead and he'll go ahead and trade him somewhere. So it'll be interesting to see where. Yeah, he ends exactly. Up. 
Um, I I don't I don't hate this pick whatsoever. Um, I I am between a B minus and C plus. Um, I don't I don't necessarily love it. I honestly think the guy that went number five, um, especially after giving up uh, some of the some of the talent in the second level that uh, Gruden and the Raiders gave up last year, obviously. Um, Devin White is probably to me after Quinn Williams. Uh, he was the most sure thing left in this in this early first round. Um, the Raiders ended up pass you know passing on him, taking Farrell. But you know the the one promising thing about Farrell as a defensive end, which of course the Raiders could use, is his tackles for loss went up every single year that he was in school. Um, he after his freshman season, he started every single game, um, and I think last year, let's see, yeah, he went from twelve and a half tackles for loss to 18 as a junior to 20 as a senior had 11 and a half sacks uh tied in there and uh three forced fumbles last year so not only is he getting to the ball behind the line of scrimmage he's wreaking some havoc and i mean on a team you know a championship team like like clemson that's what you're looking for you know you're looking for players who win and who affect games and obviously he does that at a position of need so so not a bad pick but i think devin white is going to be someone who you see wreaking some fucking havoc in the NFL for, for years to come. So I was a little surprised that uh, that Chuck, I guess, maybe took a chance on this guy instead of kind of taking the surefire uh, power power hitter. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's kind of uh, transitions well into my point. I gave it a B-. minus. Um, you know, again, Gruden's madness. Nobody can understand what's going on inside that wacky fucking brain of his. Um, but again... You know, there were there were much I shouldn't say much, uh, but there were better defensive players on the board. Um, you know, we keep saying it again and again, but Josh Allen, Devin White, I mean, you know, I think they made up f- with for it. I, I believe they picked up safety Jonathan Abrams. Uh, they picked up another kid, Isaiah Johnson. He was a fourth round corner. So they stacked up on, on the defensive end. Um, you know, they're clearly making moves out there. Uh, defensively after losing Khalil, but, you know, I, I don't know. I think they could have done a better, especially for a fourth-round pick. Um, but we'll move on, um, kick it over to what Brent was just talking about a little bit, number five pick, Tampa Bay Bucks selected Devin White out of LSU. So, uh, Harrison, what are we thinking about this? Yeah, game? this uh, I, I couldn't agree more with what Shake said. Uh, this guy's a complete stud, uh, super quick end-to-end type of linebacker or sideline to sideline linebacker. Uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna you know play right away. Um, you know, I watched a couple LSU games this year, and it's really hard to to be noticed when there's a lot of guys on the field. I, I forget the amount of numbers, but every time I watched LSU, this guy was very very easy to spot and and he you know he was in a lot of plays uh i guess he's not you know a surefire tackler or as much as you know a team would hope but i think that's something that can be easily fixed um but i think all in all from you know size speed uh just this iq football football iq things like that this guy is an absolute stud and i think i think the bucks made a great pick at the spot Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the Buckus Award winner, the best linebacker in college football. Um, and just looking at this guy on TV, he's just an absolute physical specimen. Uh, another guy I can't wait to see this guy uh, lace it up on Sunday and see what he brings to the field. What are you giving him for a grade, Thomas? 
Easy A. Easy A. I got to agree. Easy A. Um, Like Tom said, uh, Budkus Award winner. Harry, you know, I I alluded to it in the in the statement before, but you know, Harry agreed. He's he's an electric football player. Um, When when you see guys just pop off the tape, this he is everything about that. You know, uh, Harry said sideline to sideline. Very few guys in this draft, if if any, honestly, he's one of one with the size, speed, quickness, tenacity. Um, that entire package kind of wrapped up into one. Uh, like Harry said, he's not not exactly the most sure tackler right now. But when when you're in on plays, you know, getting into the backfield in the NFL, guys are fast. And if if you're disrupting plays in the backfield, you don't necessarily have to be the best tackler because the guy coming right after you is going to tackle someone's yep. ass. So you you shore that up a little bit, make him a little bit better all around player. But the, but the things you can't teach are speed and size. And he has both of yeah. those in spades. Uh, so I am going to give this an A. Um, in his final two seasons, which, by the way, he left early. So as a sophomore and a junior, as a sophomore, he had 123 tackles. And as a, as a junior, he had 133. So in, in, two, in two seasons of premier football, this dude was averaging 128 tackles a season. That is insane. Um, I gave it a B plus. Um, I will not... Uh be repetitive but you know you guys hit the nail right on the head the guy moves quickly to the ball it's what a lot of these teams are looking for uh for some of these spread out offenses um and so you know i'm excited to see him play i I don't know as much about him as you all do so that's why i'm sitting at a b plus but let's uh let's go ahead and wrap up the nfl draft results uh and grades here with just additional thoughts um comments any other you know perspective team reviews uh wanted to hear from you guys yeah the titans took a woman beater so i'm i'm officially out on the titans this year <laughs> we fucking suck first ryan Tannehill, nice, now a nice, woman beater. Yeah. Well. great uh i will say that it's i'd like to formally announce a welcome hand to jarrett stidham auburn quarterback who is the heir apparent to the throne in new england um you know, he's a, a quarterback that kind of went under the radar and was really up and down at times at Auburn. Uh, but he's a, a system-type quarterback that I think is going to really— Just like Brady. Yeah, I, I think just he's he's the perfect guy that we needed to bring in and be like, hey, man, come sit behind Brady for a few seasons. You know your role and, and just learn, absorb. We're not going to put the pressure on you. There is no pressure, frankly. It's just a great situation. Um, and on top of that, we also drafted Nikhil Harry, out of Arizona State, another guy that didn't get a ton of publicity just being in the Pac-12 market. Um, this guy is a fucking freak at wide receiver, and it's so uncharacteristic. Bill Belichick has never drafted a wide receiver in the first round. So obviously something special jumped out at this guy. He's like 6'4", 230. Um, I, I, I can't wait. I love what New England did this year in the draft, and uh, you should all be worried that once Brady retires, the, the ball's just going to keep on rolling. So, um, first and foremost, fuck you. Uh, secondly, let's go ahead and, and address the elephant in the room, uh, Harrison. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I, I mean, Mara and or Tish, either one of them, uh, clearly banged uh, Gettleman's prom date, uh, and he is back for revenge to bring this team down. Dude, it, it's – it's pretty uh, inexplicable, um, to be honest. I think every Giants fan in the world, even George R. R. Martin, 
who's a complete weirdo, took time to tweet about how how unex- or inexplicable that pick was taking Daniel Jones, Duke quarterback at number six, uh, complete reach. Uh, Gettleman afterwards said that he was positive uh, from his sources that either the Redskins or Denver, I believe, were going to take Jones before the seventeenth yep. pick, and that's why he took him at six. I got a good idea, Gettleman. Just just get defensive players because our defense sucks. Just get Josh Allen and then go get a, a different defensive player at yeah. 17, get Dexter Lawrence, whatever. I mean, dude, when you and look, let your opponents take the idiot quarterback. Yeah, exactly. So, or take Dwayne Haskins. I was, I would be fine with Dwayne Haskins. Interesting. Interesting take here. So, um, I was, t- I was talking to a uh, long time listener, uh, not any time close to being a caller, but, uh, Dana Stevens, uh, good friend of ours here at the show he texted me and he was saying that he's not uh he doesn't necessarily hate the pick um and he was saying that you know as a product of Cutcliffe and the Mannings um and also a quarterback who's used to a shitty offense um it's not unreasonable that he could potentially develop into something now that's a long shot yeah but he's also the kid that you would cast to play Eli Manning if there was a, a thousand percent. That's almost it. what I hated most about it. <laughs> we we instead of going and get like a quarterback who threw seventy percent, fifty five touchdowns and less than ten interceptions at Ohio State last year, we're gonna go take a chance on the guy who looks exactly like Eli Manning, has that stupid dumb look and, on his face all the time. And played for his offensive coordinator. Yeah, play. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, too. I was, I was, uh, I was shocked. I, I understand all the hate, but it, it's just kind of sad that everybody's already like turned their backs to this kid, and he hasn't even played a. But snap I hope he yet. uses that. I hope, I so hope too. he uses that as motivation. I hope he pans out. Uh, the one thing I will say is when he when when he was walking through the tunnel, if I'm the Giants and I'm watching him walk for ten seconds, I immediately regret my pick. <laughs> the, I'm trading. I'm trading. I'm trading you instantly. Yeah. I, I would love a redo. Yeah. Please, someone get me Roger Goodell on the phone. I need a redo now. It was a mistake. Um, honestly, though, we Imagine threw it up that, on... Like a, like, a, like a Steve Harvey incident where it's like, uh, actually, the Giants... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, they, re- they revoked their pick. They just are going to pass. Dude, I, I'm blown away. And you know what's the worst part? I saw but, this uh, one tweet from Matt Miller uh, on Twitter, and it was like, Cleveland Browns get Odell Beckham Jr. New York Giants get... Uh, Dexter Lawrence, uh, that defensive end from Old Dominion, and Jabril Peppers. And I was like, God damn it, we just made the worst <laughs> fucking trade of all time. Yeah. Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, it's, uh, I think, honestly, for, for me, it was a devastating blow to have watched this draft. And the highlight for me uh, was Petey Carroll out on the West Coast. Taking his shirt um, take, off, baby. Taking his shirt off with that psychopath, DK Metacalf, or or whatever it is. Um, you know, that's that's that, just that's a pl- that's a player genius. coach right there. Yeah, I mean that guy. He's yeah, he's a coach for the players. Well, uh, Tom, any thoughts? Last thoughts? I was just gonna say that draft pick was actually very important because it just came out that Doug Baldwin might be yeah, done for good that. because of just all his injuries that he suffered. So they definitely needed a big-time wide receiver. I'm surprised that Metcalf lasted that long, given all the, the, the pre-draft hype around him. But I'm, I'm glad he found a home in a team that is you know, clearly in need and 
with a coach who off the bat with Pete Carroll is just like in love with the guy. So good for him. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. I'm really interested to see how the kid pans out. I think, uh, you know, also, I watched, also don't eat me. <laughs> yeah, that very much so. But I yeah, if you're listening, don't eat me before I say this. Um, I was watching this movie recently, In Search of Greatness. All of you should watch it. Uh, and basically, what they were talking about, and Wayne Gretzky alluded to it more so than anybody else, is everything in sports today is based off statistics and metrics, which are obviously very important, but they're not who define, you know great players and and dk medicav is is prime example of this i mean this is a guy who is a freak specimen and he literally hits all the boxes in terms of who a football player should be um but again you know gym rat gym rats don't necessarily equate to a good football player right yeah a hundred percent um and even somebody with uh, you know a a long or you know wingspan uh you know somebody with serious reach they don't always tend to pan out you know so it'll be interesting to see he is definitely a freak of nature uh please don't eat me um and best of luck out there so let's uh let's go ahead and wrap things up harrison why don't you close us out with a buzzer beater uh i already kind of went over it but uh you know it's just another another year of mediocrity or even even something even worse than that for the giants uh vegas has them at five and a half wins uh, over under for the season, which is the second lowest in the league. So New York sports are going to continue to be uh, incredibly oh, shit. shitty and tough to watch. Can't wait. Amazing. Amazing. Everybody loves to hear it. Amazing. Um, Tommy Lasagna, give us some good news. Uh, that is music to my ears. Fuck New York sports. Uh, some other good news is that the Boston Celtics went into Milwaukee and just shit all over Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks. Um, wow, the Celtics, that was solid pronunciation. Yeah, I've been working on it. I've been practicing, trying to come correct for you guys and our listeners. Um, the Celtics are going to the the NBA Finals. I don't know if we're going to beat Golden State and the refs. It's going to be difficult to beat the refs, particularly. Um, but the Celtics are going to win the East. Bet on it now. Just do yourself the favor and get them before the value drops. Can Can we talk about? While we're on the topic of the NBA, Damian Lillard and just the ice coursing through, dude, he might he, right he might be the I'm, night. I'm not gonna lie, I've I've been on Dame Lillard for a <laughs> long fucking time. Uh, back in my in my 2K days, I used to love playing with him when he first came into the league. Also, everyone here knows um, I'm a huge fan of the rock band Portugal the Man, uh, who are from Portland, Oregon, and they they stand the fuck out of Lillard and the Blazers. Uh, that dude hangs out with them all the fucking time. So I see a lot of him on, like, social media and shit. He's actually cool as hell, but he has never had a cooler moment than hitting that fucking 40-foot three-pointer and just fucking everyone's lady in the place <laughs> but, later that night. But fo- but following it off the court, too, when he was asked about pressure, he's like, dude, pressure is a homeless person trying to figure out their next meal yeah. or a, a single mom trying to figure out how to pay rent. He's like, is it a challenge? Yes. He's like, it's not pressure. This is like, you know, this is my job. So I thought that was pretty suave. He's, he's he is the shit, uh, both on a personal level and from a player standpoint. Everyone should be a fan of this guy. Also, yeah. also and, check his mixtape. He goes by Dame Dalla in the studio. And he drops <laughs> hot fire. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, I think just like lastly to wrap it up on the NBA bit. I mean, I think it's just important because we haven't done it in a while. But you know, fuck LeBron James. Um, <laughs> yes, and retweet, about him. <laughs> retweet. <laughs> just wanted to bring that up real quick. 
Uh, yeah. For so, that, listen. Thank you all for joining us. As always, it was a goddamn pleasure, uh, gentlemen. As always, it was great spitballing with you and educating and entertaining. We hope you guys continue to follow us on social media. Uh, make sure to go ahead and subscribe both on iTunes and Spotify. It's our lifeblood, um, so go get it done now. Um, additionally, we are going to have some special guests uh, coming up in the next few months, so make sure to stay tuned. We want to make sure that we keep things hot and fresh here. So, Brent, we'll turn it over to you for some music history and to close us out. Yes, sir. Um, good shit, fellas. On this day in 1947, what a year. Uh, Tommy James from the All-American band, Tommy James and the Shondells, uh, was born. So here is the American classic, Crimson and Clover. Later, fellas. Later, fellas.